0: If you love Jesus, say, I do. I do. If you're happy to be here, say, I am. I am. Good. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, I have a, one of my best friends in the whole world here tonight, and uh, I've invited him to just greet you real quickly. He's the youth pastor at Life Church in Kansas City. Will you give a big hand to Garrett Prechtel?
1: What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? Good to see all your pretty faces, even though I can't see anybody's face from right here. It's too bright. Hey, I just wanted to give a quick update about something we're doing uh, that's really uh, spurred from this whole thing called the Desperation Movement. Um, We've started this uh, thing called the Six at VSM, where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, at 6 p.m., young people are gathering to pray on behalf of their generation. And uh, it was spurred out of this right here that you guys get to come and be a part of every single week. And something that uh, I asked David if I could share... um, was one of the things that spurred this thing on other than the bigger picture of prayer, of of the prayer movement, which was uh, in December of 2011, my family got some shocking news. And the news was that uh, my wife's um, youngest brother, who uh, I've been in his life since he was 12, he is actually the one who put my wife and I together, was diagnosed with cancer for the second time in his uh, 24-year-old life. This time it was stage four. He had a year to live uh, the doctors were not giving him a, a, a diagnosis of "you're going to live." They're, they were saying you're going to die, and uh, it it rocked our family. And uh, on the couch that night, after my wife got off, got off the phone to get the news, she just fell in my arms, and I heard God ask me, "Do you believe?" And um, I said, "Yeah, God, I believe. I preach about it. Of course, I believe." And He said, "No, do you believe?" I said. God, I, I, of course, I, I've been a pastor for 13 years. I preach about belief. He said, no, do you believe? Stop stop giving me words. Do you believe? And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And out of that came this series called Believe, and not this uh, credence, this, this audible credence that we give God all the time, but this complete reliance upon. And uh, my brother is in the audience today. He's here for the prayer summit. Um, Nathan, will you come on up here real quick? Would you guys welcome my brother, Nathan? This is Nathan. He's now 25 years old. He's single and not looking. Um, He's got pink shoes. uh, And they're pink with a ribbon on it because just two weeks ago, uh, after three months of treatments and young people gathering to pray for Nate in California, Kansas City, and around the nation... He has been healed completely. There's not an ounce of cancer in his blood. And this is the most amazing thing. In his sacrum bone, the cancer began to eat away bone. There's a hole there. Two inches deep, long. Two inches big. Brand new bone is showing up on x-rays and Brand Bo- Br- Bone does not do that overnight, but God does. And so I want to encourage you, DSM, be desperate like never before and believe. Man. Believe and live this thing out that we call the vow, all right? Love you guys. It's good to see you. Would you guys think, Nate?
0: Come on, you can do better than that. That's a miracle right there. That's a miracle. Praise God. Hey, I also, real quick, I just want us to pray together uh, as a family. We have uh, a a big part of our team currently in Wales, Uh, a big uh, part of DLA is currently in Wales. We're putting on a a youth conference in Wales together, and so that's a part of our extended family. And so, uh, Sean, if you want to just throw that picture up there, this is some of our team that's in Wales uh, right now, and I just want us to pray for them. They're going to be, they're hosting a, a youth conference in Wales these next three days, and so... I told them that we'd be praying for them. Uh, Obviously, they've got a lot of work to do. And so, will you just stretch out your hands, and let's just pray for our our DSM family in Wales. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you for this event. We pray for the teenagers in Wales to come to know you and to love you. God, we pray for uh, stories like we just heard from Garrett to come from Wales, God, where you do miracles. We pray, Lord God, that you would touch them and strengthen them. We pray for the DLA students that are in Wales, God. God, we ask that they would be heralders and preachers of the gospel in another land, in another nation, that young people in Wales would be passionate for God. And everyone said amen. 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 All right. One last thing uh, before we dive into the word here, and that is next week we start a bizarre series. It's going to be on relationships uh, called Uncensored. And so um, it's, it's rated at least PG-13, if not worse. And so uh, that's why junior high can't come. No, i was kidding. So... Uh, so anyway, so next week, I want to encourage you guys to make sure to be here, uh, and, and if you want to bring your friends, we'd love for you to bring them, but wanted to, to encourage you to be a part of it next week, it's going to be very creative, quite a, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun next week, so Uncensored starts next week. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started this series called What's Your Secret, and in week one, we talked a little bit about how the enemy wants to destroy our lives, do you remember that? We talked about how the enemy was like a lion, all right? trying to prowl around and devour us. And that first week, we wrote out confessions to God. We talked about secret sin the entire night. And you wrote out secret sins. Many of you wrote different things about lust, pride. Insecurity was a big one. Fear was a big one. A, a, a lot of you wrote about, about some form of ungodly talk, whether that be gossip. Some of you wrote about lying. Lying. And so we confess to God. We came before Jesus, and so we don't want these things in our lives. And then last week, we talked a little bit about confessing to each other. And we talked about how in James it says, when we we confess to one another, we're healed. And so at the conclusion last week, we had a time where we just confessed our sins to each other, and we prayed for each other. And And if you remember, we talked a lot about how when we go to Spend time with God. When we get into the presence of God, that's where we are cleansed. That's where we become clean. And it gives us strength to go and pursue God again. And We fall short, we go into his presence, he cleans us. We fall short, we go into his presence, and he washes us. And and we talked about that a little bit last week. And as I was beginning to pray and think about this week, I, I want to talk to you a little bit in a practical standpoint on how we continue, how we remain how we keep going without going back to our old sin. Because it's one thing for you and I to come and for us to confess it in week, week one and for all of us to write sins and we put them on the cross and as a statement to Jesus, we say we don't want these in our lives. It's one thing for us to come and make that statement and have it be a one-time event versus actually walking away from these sins. We don't want it to be just a series where we come and we just kind of post it up here and we go, God, I, I want pride out of my life, or I want gluttony out of my life, or I want lust out of my life, or I want drunkenness out of my life, or I want conceit out of my life, or I want cheating on tests. out. Of, no, we, we, what's in, going on inside of you is something that says, I don't want that to just be a moment. And inside of each one of you is a little bit of fear that goes, man, I, 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 I'm nervous that I'm going to go back to what I used to know. I'm going to go back to just doing the secret sin. It's easy to do that. It, it's, it, it would be so painful for us if we were to do this series and we were to be set free and we confess our sin to God and we confess our sin to each other and we, we nailed this on the cross and we were committed to walking in freedom. And if weeks from now, months from now, if we were back doing the same thing and you wept here on the stairs and imagine the pain if we just keep going back to what we used to know. If we, even what John said a moment ago. If we go back to the ordinary, if we go back to what everybody else is doing. And you know that God has moved in your heart. And there's this testimony that says, you no, know, you, you wept tears and you, you wrote it down. And we, you know, we sang songs with Corey Asbury about breaking the chains. And we, we, we made a, we've had this season where God's been doing this. And the very last thing that we want as a family is to go back to these sins. We want these to be gone. We want these to be over. We want these to be not a part of our lives anymore. I was reading in Romans, and I want to read Romans chapter 6. And the way I grew up is learning this was kind of, you know, a version of the Bible that he says can... Should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I was meditating on that verse, but I read it in the message, and I love the way that the message said it. The message came out like this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, I love that, if we've left the, the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or don't you realize we packed up and left there for good? Tonight, I want to talk about packing up and leaving this for good. I want to talk about this being gone. I want to talk about this not being something that we go, excuses, and we go, yeah, but Pastor David, you know, everybody's doing that and everybody's sinning, and it's just the way that it is. I want to talk about you and I actually doing some practical things to where we get out of this lifestyle. Listen, last week I talked about how when we come into the presence of God, He washes us and He changes us. And no matter how broken and how weak, we can go back to His presence and He washes us. But I want to build on that tonight. Because I do want any time that I fall short to go back to God and know that He renews me and that He purifies me and that He washes me. But I want to actually stop sinning. Don't you? How many of you go, I I want to stop sinning. I I I I want that out of my life. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want that to be a part of who I am. I, I, I want to be, I want to use more wisdom. I want to be more wise than to keep going back to sin. Proverbs 26 reads like this. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. So this is Solomon writing and he says, Like a dog goes back to eating its own puke. So fools go back to their folly, to their sin. And you and I know, when we hear that, it goes, that sounds so gross. That sounds so yuck. I mean, who wants to go back and eat your own puke? Puke it up, drink it. Puke it up, drink it. Sit. Right? And yet you and I know that in the same way that that would be disgusting, the sin is destroying us. Every time we go back, it's like a voluntary statement that says, I want to go back to drinking my own puke. I'm going to go back. I'm going to keep doing it. So tonight I want to talk to you about some very simple ways for you, practical ideas on how you can walk away from sin. Number one, make a plan. A real plan, a practical plan. I went with a bunch of teenagers a number of years ago from new life. We went to China together. I actually spent three weeks in China. Renata and I went, before we had kids. We spent quite a bit of time at this school. This is actually a high school in China. and We, uh, we partnered with, uh, with some missionaries there. And while we were there, I was watching the culture of our teenagers with this, the culture of these missionaries. And this leader, this guy, this missionary who was leading this whole thing, I was pretty impressed with him at the time. I thought he was extremely old. He was about John McDonald's age, and um, of course, I was young then. And I remember, I remember just, uh, I remember, I remember just talking to this guy and watching him in situation after situation, because all of us would kind of, you know, have tip, a typical kind of conversation, and this guy just began to just. He was so, he was so focused on speaking life, and I noticed that every time the conversation became negative. He either backed out of the conversation or he took the conversation positive. So I was in my early 20s, and I was just intrigued by this guy. Like I said, he was old. He was half dead. He had a foot in the grave. He's 37. And I, and I just, I remember, I remember just uh, being uh, mesmerized by this. And I began to talk to him about it. I just, I, I, I noticed it over the course of the week, so I just said to him, I said, tell me, tell me about how tell me about wh- why you do this. And I just said, and he said, why I do what? And I said, I've just noticed that nothing negative comes out of your mouth. Whenever people turn the conversation and talk negatively about other people, you don't participate. And he just responded with, I've made a personal covenant. I'm gonna take Ephesians 4.29 literally where it says, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up that it may benefit those who listen. So I've just made an internal covenant. I'm just not gonna be a part of that. And so there was no judgment that he placed on anybody else. There was just something that he was like, I'm not going to go back to that way. It was, an, it was a plan. It was a decision. It was something that he had resolved in his heart to do. It was personal. It was just something. It was, just, it was really just between him and God. I would have never known about it except for I so noticed the righteousness on his life that I asked him about it. I was recently uh, doing some marriage counseling for... Uh, a, a young couple in their 20s, and, and so we were talking about marriage, and I met with them multiple times, and one of the things that I found that was so fun about their relationship was that they were radically committed to purity, and so as I was talking to them, I found out that they decided that they weren't going to kiss until their wedding day, and so, uh, yeah, it's powerful. And so, and this was, like, I mean, these were two really, like, cool people, you know? Like, I, I, they, were, they were committed to this in a radical way, and you kind of wondered if they would really make it. And I remember on their wedding day, I actually was the officiant for their ceremony. I stood on a stool, and... <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's true. No, seriously, if I have to do a wedding, whether it's a flat floor, I... I anyway, I prefer stairs. But, anyway, so I was doing their wedding, and I... And I, and I would just, I watched it. I watched, I watched their very first kiss. First time right there, you know, wedding day. And I just remember talking to them in, in their marriage counseling, and they just said, we just made a decision. We're not placing this on other people. It's just personal. It's law for us. We've decided we're not gonna kiss. It's not a statement that this is the way that it has to be in Christianity. It's not a judgment on other people that do. It's just for us as for the purity and the righteousness that we desire to have in our marriage, we have made just a personal decision. We're not gonna go there. I remember talking to a, a friend of mine, he was a teenager and he, he, was, he had really entered into encountering God and wanted to be a man of prayer. And so one of the things that he did, it's really interesting, is when he would get home from high school, he would go up to his room and just be, turn, turn worship music up and just pray and worship and pray he go up to his room, immediately, and he, he had come out of a lifestyle of sin, and so he was radically trying to turn from hanging out, just kind of lived with drugs and alcohol and his, you know, in ages 14, 15, and 16, and about age 17 was when he gave his life to Jesus, and he really wanted to turn his life around, and so he made a decision that every day he was going to come home and worship God. That was just the thing that he decided. He didn't place it on other people. It wasn't an added thing to be a Christian. It was just out of his own brain, out of his own heart. This was an internal covenant, an internal decision, almost like personal legalism, that this is what he was going to do. He made a plan. He made a decision. So he would come home and he would turn up his worship music. And so much of the time, it would would go late into the evening. So much so that his parents started to be frustrated because he was always in his room with his music on, praying. And they were not Christians, (laughs) And so they said to him, hey, listen, you're, it's too loud. You're like, like shaking the walls of the house by having your music on all the time. And they started to have tension in the family because he was worshiping God so much in his room. And so he built a tree house out back and turned that into his worship house. And, uh, <laughs> and I teased him about that a little bit. Like, can you just turn the music down? He said, no, I don't want to turn the music down. He goes, I want to crowd everything else out. He goes, I'm in a new season, I'm in a season of my life where I just need to, I just want to focus in on Jesus and I need the music loud. And so he built his own tree house. He started worshiping God every day after school. Go up in the treehouse. Lived in California so it would work. Wouldn't work here because you'd be destroyed by snow and moths. But <laughs> there in California, it worked. Listen, here's, here's the idea that I love out of these stories. These are people that it wasn't, it wasn't a legalistic thing that they read in the Bible that they said, I have to do this in order to perform for Jesus. Instead, what it was is, I don't want these sins in my life anymore, so I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to do something, and nobody else has to do it, and I'm not going to ask any other, any other people to do it. I'm not going to judge other people. But as for me, this is a practical way that I'm not going to go back to sexual immorality. This is a practical way. So make the covenant not to kiss. This is the way that I'm. I'm not going to go back to the old drinking and the old way. I'm going to. I'm going to worship God every day by myself in my in my room, or in my treehouse. I, you know, it's I, those decisions. that I, I. It's it's made by the individual. It's saying I. I don't. I, I, I've had a problem. The, the second highest one last week was about lying and gossip. So, so this, this missionary in China, I'm, I'm making a decision. I'm going to not say any unwholesome words. I'm just going to walk away. And I love those because all of those examples, they all came from people. It was their own little commitment, their own covenant before God, but it was very practical. I like to call it personal legalism. Everybody gets mad when you talk about legalism. Because anytime you say, hey, you should fast, don't you dare put something on me. You should pray. Don't you dare put something on me. You should not watch movies with sexual things in them. Don't you dare. How dare you? Don't you know I'm saved by grace? Come on, man. And everybody gets mad. You, you, you should love other people. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's just people get upset. And so here's, here's one of the fun things. People, get, people call the, pull the legalism card all the time if you put, if you put their beliefs on if you put your beliefs on them. But here's the deal. As Christians, you're independent. You make a choice to follow Jesus, you can live with as much legalism on the inside as you want. And you go, oh, I don't want to be legalistic. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, there are some things, there are some personal legalisms that are your best friends. David, what are you talking about? Listen, last week, all I did was talk about how once we sin, we go back to God, he forgives us, we, we draw near to his heart we run back to him, he forgives us, it's the good life. But if you want to walk away from sin, you need to make a practical plan on how to walk away from sin. Not just a statement that says I'm going to, but how are you going to do it? Listen, there's things in my life, I've got so many rules that that nobody knows about that are just for me. I mean, you guys don't know about, but I've I've got tons of rules. I've got, I've, I've had them, I've, I've had them since I was in high school. I've got rules that it's just for me. I'm not going to put them on anybody else. But as for me, I, I remember when I got married and, uh, and I started telling some of these to Renata because she started to see them and it was just kind of an intriguing thing for her. Cause I had all these things that were my friends, these rules that were my friends. Why were they my friends? Because they kept me from sinning. because they were things that were just choices. So man, personal legalism, Oh, I like it. Personal legalism. Now, legalism. You know, someone else placing something on me out of judgment. Oh, that's hard. But something that I've decided out of the overflow of God working in me so that I don't have to give my life into mediocrity, into lust, into fear, into being controlled by other, what other people think. Oh, man. Personal legalism is Awesome. You should, I'm telling you, if if you will lock in with, okay, what are the things that you want to walk away from, and as for you, what are the things that you, you, just you, you're not going to put it on other people, you're not going to say this is the way that it has to be for others, but as for your own heart, you start to make covenant in your own heart that goes, as for me, these are some of the rules. This is the way that I want to live. We've got them all through DSM. I talk to students in DSM, and they've got them. You might not know about them, but there are students sitting in this room tonight that they've got personal legalism going on all over the place. There are, there are students in this room, they've made a covenant and a decision, they're not flaunting it, they're not wearing a t-shirt that proclaims, I will not date you. <laughs> but they've already made a decision that they're going to finish, graduate from high school, in DSM, and they're never going to date you. They've made a decision. You can ask them out, they won't date you. You can try to kiss them, they'll, sp- they'll get mad at you, they'll punch you. They'll get upset. Right? It won't work. They'll kick you. Why? Because they made a decision. Right? Personal legalism. That's what it is. There's some in this room, they don't do Facebook. I don't know all the reasons, but they go, you know what? I don't, I, I, for some of them, it's wasting time. For some of them, it's their identity on how many likes and how many friends they do or don't have. But they made a decision. They're not flaunting it. But they've made a decision and decided, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from it. There are some people in this room that are here tonight. And they've decided they're not going to go to parties where there's drunkenness. They've just made the choice. They might not flaunt it in your face. They might not look at you and say, hey, this is what you have to do because I made this choice. But you, when you get down to their heart, they've made a decision. It's personal legalism. And it's empowered by the loving kindness and the grace of the Lord Jesus. And it's a love statement back to him that goes, You prepared a way for me to not have to walk in sin. You, you took me out of the country where sin was sovereign. I don't want to go back there. I'm making a house as far away from, this, from sin as possible. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can get. So instead of just having it, calling everything okay, I'm going to make some commitments, some practical decisions. I've got personal legalism. Personal legalism exists in DSM. Some of our strongest students, when you sit down with them over coffee and you start talking about what's going on in their heart, they don't even know, they don't have the language for this, but this comes out of them like crazy. Choices that they've made. Decisions. So number one, I want to encourage you. What's yours? As I look at these, and I look at Lust, deceit, wicca, as I look at lying, envy, how are you going to practically walk away from cheating? Have a plan. Make a plan. Yes, your plan is to run back to the grace of Jesus every time you fall short. In addition to that, on top of that, not a substitute for that, in addition, in addition to grace and loving kindness. What's your practical plan to not go back to the secret sin that you confessed and you wept over? You don't want to go back. Number one, make a plan. Number two, confess to God every day. Confess your sin to God every day. There is nothing you are going to articulate to him that he does not already know. So you might as well say it all. So say it for real. Don't just say, God, I confess my pride. No, too vague. Be more real. God, I confess that I'm so trying to get, I find my identity in how many friends I have on Facebook, and I'm, 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 I'm so mad that, that I'm not varsity because I want everybody to like me. Say it like it re- you really feel it. When I was in high school, it would have been God, You know, I confess, I've got this mullet so that other women will be attracted to me. I repent, you know, like say exactly what's going on in your heart. Don't just give vague things, say it, confess it to God. Confess exactly what's going on in your heart. And here's the deal. As you confess to God, you'll be surprised. You'll develop a real relationship rather than coming and saying, Pastor David, I just feel like when I pray, it's not uh, God doesn't hear me. And uh, it's just not really real. I feel like, listen, when you talk to God like he's a real person instead of just kind of beautiful, weird talk, God bestoweth upon me righteousness so that I can radiate love. No, talk to him like real. God, I confess this sin. This is what I did yesterday. This is what I want to do today. But I don't want to do that. My sin nature wants to do that. But because you're inside of me, the Holy Spirit's alive in me. I've left the state where sin is sovereign. God, I want you more than I want all these other things. And begin to say it like that. Confess it to God. Use real words. Don't just use vague, sweet language what's really going on in your life. I encourage you to journal and write it out to God each day. The way that I do it, I actually have a, a, a journal. John, I know I'm losing man points with you, but I have a journal. And I, and, and I, 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 I write it out. Actually, John does too, just for the record. Okay. He's got a, a, a journal. All right, so. But it's a masculine journal. But Mine's more. But anyway, so. Okay. Garrett, you have a journal too. Okay, so, but write it out to God. Just, just write, I mean, actually be specific and confess it to God. Write, actually talk to God, confess it. And if you'll do that each day, you'll be surprised. Your strength to walk away from sin will get stronger when it's, when the glue, when the thing that's, t- that's making it work is relationship, when you're talking with Jesus. When it's just a theory, then when it's just a theory, and it's just kind of vague, a, a principle, then when you're in the moment to either say something positive, or walk away, or engage in the conversation, if it's just a theory, you'll, you'll give in every time. You'll, just, you'll join in the rat race of gossip, and lying, and all that. But If what's alive in you is, I'm going to be in the journal tomorrow morning, repenting of my sin, and I'm looking at the last 24 hours, and I'm going to be face-to-face with Jesus, there'll be something inside of you that goes, I don't want to break God's heart again. In fact, I want to bring pleasure to the heart of God. So therefore, I've got motivation to back away and to not give in to whatever it is. The lying, the lust, the sexual sin, you name it. It'll give you strength. So confess it to God every day. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to do a journal, but it'll make it stronger. You can go back. You'll be able to record it. For me, I do the same system, the same plan of how I talk to God. I do praise. Tell God who he is. Thanksgiving, thank God for what he's doing. Then confession. God, I look back at the last 24 hours. Where did I miss it? Oh, man. God, I... Shouldn't have yelled at my kids. I shouldn't, shouldn't have made them eat, you know, as much as they ate. Whatever it is. You know, God, can you confess a sin? But I'm telling you, if you'll have a plan on how to confess your sin to God. Not just David Perkins screaming at you again, confess your sins to God. No. You have a plan. How? How are you going to do it? What's your actual, what's the actual way you're going to do it? Number three. Confess to Christian comrades. Comrades. I like that word, comrades. I, I, was, I was putting in brotherhood, sisterhood. I was trying to find the right word, but I like the word comrade. You know why? Comrade, if you're a lady and you're going to be in Bravehearts, yeah, it's kind of Bravehearts. Woo, all right. So, brave. If you, you, you want a Christian comrade. You want people that you can confess this to that will help you. I have three people in my life right now. Three people that I'll confess my sins to in a moment. My dad. Yeah. That's weird. No, my dad's been my best friend since I was 13. My dad, my wife, and I've got a friend. He's a youth pastor in another city. He can ask me any question. And we're just, it's just, it's just comrades. It's people that I know are committed to Jesus. They're committed to my highest good. And I'll confess it to them. But it's not just kind of a theory. It's real people. I want to ask you, who are those people in your life? Can you name them? I just named three. Now, I'm not talking about like, well, if I ever had a problem and I was ever hurting, I could go to this person and they might hug me. That's not what I'm talking about. That's great, and you need people like that. I hope you have lots of people that'll hug you when you're hurting. Great. You need lots of people like that. You know, you guys should hug each other and love each other, and when you cry, hug it. That's great. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about people who are in the journey helping you choose righteousness. I'm talking about people that you've given permission to ask you the hard questions. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who are those people. You want to walk away from this? You got to get practical and real. Here's the plan. You got to figure out how am I actually going to stop having secret sins. If you have a plan and you confess it to God and you confess it to other people, so I've got news for you. If you'll just do those three things, those three things, you will not have secret sin. You might still have some sin. <laughs> But lots of people know about it. (laughs) And if lots of people know about it, you know what they're committed to do? They're committed to helping you. And when you know that you're being authentic and real with God, and you've got people that are helping you, you don't feel the shame on the inside because you've got no secrets. And when you have no secrets, you feel more alive. You feel authentic. You feel pure. You feel, you know, you may be struggling with something, but Jesus knows, people know, and they're all, all helping you with your plan to walk away from it. Have a plan. Confess it to God. Confess it to comrades. And if if, if you don't have those comrades, we want to be those comrades for you. That's why we have campus groups. That's why we have Frontline. That's why we pray in here at 6 o'clock every week. That's why we have the prayer room. We want to create environments where you can create friendships so that people can help you. We want to help you. Me, John, Holly, Candice, we want to help you. DLA, we want to help you. All right, and here's my last point tonight. Turn the plan, okay, we've been working on the plan, into a habit. I didn't say a hobbit. Turn the plan into a habit. Say habit. Say habit. Okay, now listen. Here's the deal. When you do anything over and over and, over and 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 over again, you get better at it, right? All right, if we were to, if we were to have an NBA player here tonight, and, and, and let's say it was, let's say it was, it would be LeBron. Someone said Tim Tebow. That's right, Tebow, he can play everything. let <laughs> All right, let's, let's, we'll take LeBron. Someone said LeBron. If we had LeBron and he was able to hit shot after shot after shot after shot, we'd be like, cool, but we wouldn't be so, so surprised because he's the best in the world or one of the best, anyway. Right? Same thing with a golfer. If you had a golfer, he's a, he, he, what's the PGA? Is that what it's called? All right, yeah, Tiger, now he's not good anymore. But if, anyway, if you, had, if, you had, if you had a golfer, on the PGA Tour, and he was able to hit putt after putt after putt, and he was on the PGA Tour, you know, he's awesome, we wouldn't be that mesmerized. We'd be like, well, yeah, of course he can hit seven putts in a row. But if John McDonald were to be good at basketball, or John McDonald were, no, I'm just kidding, or Garrett, or when, it, when they were to hit shot after shot, it'd be like, whoa, wow, it'd be almost miraculous, right? Right? Why? Because people that do it over and over and over and over and over and over again, they get good at it, Right? It's true with sports. It's true with academics. It's true with, I'm going to tell you this. It's true with righteousness. It's true. It's true with making decisions. And here's the deal. When you've, made, when you've made the decision over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. And the things that at one time would have taken you out with lust, when you've made a choice over and over again, it doesn't destroy you. I knew a teenager. This young guy got so determined that he was going to walk in sexual purity. He made a resolution. You know, it's the Job, and Job, Job says, I, I, I make a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. So this guy was, this was, I mean, he was like, all my friends tolerate it, but not, not me. And he was committed to it. And I remember the story. He, at one point, was in a room, watching a movie with a bunch of friends. A sex scene came on. And it's that moment. Teenage kids, Christian kids, you know, happens to you. It's, it's the commercial even. It's whatever it is. How do you respond? This kid, he ran up. He ran up to press stop on the DVD player. Problem was, he was lame at technology. He didn't know what to do. Got all, He couldn't figure it out. He Couldn't figure out what's going on. So in his frustration, he didn't just run out of the room. He didn't want his friends to watch the sex scene, either. So he picked up a blanket that a, a, his friend had, threw the blanket over the television, and ran out of the room. <laughs> Why? Why? Because it's a pre-decision choice. It's personal legalism. It's a habit over and over and over again. It was the decision, not going to look at a woman lustfully, not going to look at a woman lustfully, not going And so when it comes on, it's not like, mm, should I look at this? Instead, it's no. And it's strong inside of him because he made that choice over and over and over and over again. We, I think we just had it just a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, some of the leaders, student leaders in DSM, I think this is an example Prom came up, same night as Jesus culture, and no question, a bunch of our leaders, high school students in DSM, they said, let's punt on our senior prom and go worship Jesus instead. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I hear some of you, oh, well, what's wrong with prom? And oh, my, and I'm so offended that I went to prom. No, stop that. It's not about prom, it's about an internal decision. And the hearts of some teenagers that go, there's something bigger. You go, well, I don't know, prom's like the biggest night of our high school career. And they go, no, my God is bigger than prom or the high school career. And he's worth worshiping. He's worth giving everything to. It's a choice. If you will make these choices over and over again. I mean decision after decision after decision. It's a choice. You make the plan and then you stick with it. It becomes second nature. I'm telling you, when I get around my dad, my dad's 65, he's old, he has white hair, he's very old, he's been following Jesus for so long, I'm not even sure he's tempted, like I look at him like, are you real, you know, why, well, he made a choice to follow Jesus when he was 17 years old, and he's been going for it ever since, and there's something about when you just follow Jesus and make right choices after right choices for 50 years, it gets easier. You go, oh, I don't know if it does get easier because I've heard that, you know, the the sin is always lurking at the door. I'm not saying that the devil goes away, no. The enemy wants to destroy you. He's still prowling around like a lion. But when you have made a choice to choose humility a thousand times, the thousand and one time gets easier. You gain greater strength. You have a stronger muscle to choose righteousness. It is possible for us to walk away from sin. It is possible for us to live with these things. Sexual purity. It is possible for us to walk away. It's possible. And you've got to believe it's possible. Because if you don't believe it's possible, you'll go right back in it. If you think this is just a ceremonial religious thing that we do. To feel good for a night. Then you'll go right back into these things. You've got to believe that if you'll work on it, there's an actual way. To walk out of sin. It's possible. God. God wants it for you. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants the secret sins to not be a part of your life. And let me tell you this. If you go, well, David, I don't know. If I make these internal choices, then I'm not going to, you know, have fun. I won't have the fun... That sin provides. Can I be honest with you? Have you you paid attention to what's happening in our culture? When you look at the misery of people that are living for sexual pleasure, financial gain, the pride of life. You can even look at our celebrity culture and there's a meltdown. Everybody, when you look at the cult, when you look at, even in your high school, when you look at everybody after the pursuit of those things, everybody's after that. Everybody's after those things. I'm telling you, to go after sin is the boring way to live. Everybody's doing it. It's what the masses are doing. Jesus said it. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it, but narrow is the road, and few find what leads to life. And that is actually where the thrill is. That's actually what's exciting. The people that aren't going the broad road, just just being herded down like everybody else. Where, M, the way MTV, the way everybody else goes, everybody else is living this way. They're being herded like cattle by the devil. It's what everybody's doing. But when you choose righteousness and you find Jesus as the way to life, it's the opposite of boring. The, transform, the transformation that you were created for is what Jesus does inside of you. The relationship that you get to walk with, you actually starting to become like Jesus. That is the thrill. That is the joy that we get. That's the exciting life. I was just Skyping with Britt Hancock, my missionary friend from Mexico, this week. Skyping. He's down in Mexico, in the, in the mountains of Mexico. I'm in the World Prayer Center, you know, with... DLA kids, that's our lives. He's down there with lost people. I hang out with John and Brandon and DLA kids in the World Prayer Center. That's the, okay. And so I'm sitting there. There he is. And he's snarling at me like talking about churches that he's starting, talking about people getting saved. We're on Skype talking in Mexico. He's talking about people that want to kill him. And I'm like, you're awesome. I'm like... Anybody that thinks following Jesus with your whole heart is boring needs to go Skype Brit. This week, this week, I, I drove up. I met my, one of my best friends, Aaron Stern. He planted a church up in Fort Collins. We met in Denver. We're sitting there over coffee. Aaron's telling me the risk that he's taking, the stories of people getting saved, what it's like. And he's telling me about, I've never lived in this much adventure. I feel like I've jumped off of a cliff and it's a free fall and I need Jesus to catch me. And I go, that's so boring, that whole Christian thing, so dull. Wrong! It's the opposite. You give yourself, let me tell you this, if you are bored, you're a boring person. Because if you say yes to Jesus Christ and you give everything, I'm telling you, it is the, it is, there is thrill and there is delight. You don't have to live bored. You don't have to live bored. Choosing righteousness and following in the footsteps of where Jesus is calling you is the opposite. It's the opposite of boring. Transformation of character to be holy and set apart It's the opposite. You say, well, David, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. Listen, I am not saying it's all in your strength. I am saying the Holy Spirit alive inside of you, Jesus at work inside of you, you gaining revelation, this is my plan, this is how it's going to go down. Together, you can walk away from sin. So it says in 1 John, 1 John reads like this. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let me say that again. Greater. Say greater. Say greater. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he, the Holy Spirit, the life of God. Greater is he that is in you than all that is in the world. All right? Got it? Let's stand and pray together. Stand and pray. Come on. Lift your hands. Raise them high. Raise them high. Here we go. Raise them high. Come on, raise them higher. Jesus, we want to be your righteous bride. We want to be your sons and daughters that live in freedom. And God, we want... To end this season with new determination to walk in righteousness. God, we want freedom. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every young man and every young woman. I pray that you would fill them with your power. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord God, that they would write out practical plans, ways, ideas. Ideas. Some of you need to write them tonight. You need to write out a plan tonight. How? Okay, we burned, we burned your sin secret. How? How are you going to walk away? Father, in the name of Jesus, make us strong. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we can't do it. But you and us can accomplish anything. Your strength can give us ideas, courage, wisdom. We don't want to run back to the vomit. No, we want you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.